This episode is brought to you by CBD Brands Direct. CBD Brands Direct is an online retailer for a wide variety of CBD brands and products. They are your one-stop shop for everything CBD. From topicals to edibles to ingestibles, they've got it all. Ignite makes a 50 milligram CBD infused lip balm that is blended with essential oils to help renew previously damaged skin and maintain a healthy appearance. The balm is made from beeswax and contains peppermint oil to give you that minty fresh feeling. Ignite products are thoroughly tested and are made from hemp-derived CBD extract. Visit cbdbrandsdirect.com that's C-B-D-B-R-A-N-D-S-D-I-R-E-C-T.com to order. And use the offer code BEGONIAFM, all one word, at checkout to get 20% off your order. Make sure to use that code to let them know you came from us. Thanks to CBD Brands Direct for sponsoring this episode and all of Begonia FM. Greetings, listeners. It's Kyle. Um, Before we start this episode, I want to let you know this episode, just like the last three, is definitely not going to be for everyone. And following the events of the films uh, this season, we're going to be talking about a lot of violence, both physical and psychological, as well as um, some scenes of sexual assault. So please listen at your own discretion. And if this whole season hasn't been for you, it's all good. I promised next season we're going to lighten it up a little bit. Hello and welcome to a celebration of cinema, season one, Shifting Perspectives. I'm Kyle, and with me as always is Nick. What's up, Kyle? Hey, it's our wrap-up episode of this season, so we're covering Seven, M, and Man Bites Dog. All right, what a season. What a season to start with. (sighs) Yep, you know. Yeah. We did it to ourselves. We did it to ourselves. We only have ourselves to blame. That's a great way of putting it. (laughs) And hey, is that also maybe not a theme that runs through a lot of these movies? Wow. Great segue. That's why you're a professional, Kyle. Okay. Well, this has been the Century of uh, Celebration of Cinema Season 1. That's our wrap-up episode. Thanks for joining us. We did it. (laughs) (laughs) So this is a, a conversation that I think it's kind of fun to kind of keep on going. People talk about it a lot, but we just watched three pretty depressing, sad, sometimes very hard to watch movies. And I've noticed that (laughs) I don't realize it, but until I try to recommend people movies, but a lot of my movies that I like a lot are kind of like that. I know your movies are kind of like that too. Yeah, definitely when I go through like my letterboxed and look at my three and a half stars and up, a lot of those are pretty draining films in their own ways you know draining is a good way to describe that yeah it definitely do feel a little drained in a way yeah i guess psychologically drained um but it's also i mean so i guess tell me if it drains you after you watch a movie and it's hard you feel like shit you know for a couple hours afterwards why bother watching the movie, Nick? Why do you do that to yourself all the time? That is a good question. <laughs> so, you know, there is like the old idiom, like art reflects life and life reflects art. Sure. And I think if you're going to build your art around like a certain level of realism, mm-hmm. it's going to be pretty sad, brutal, depressing, because that is the human experience for the most part. I mean, that's what gives the great moments, you know, their greatness. Yeah. Their greatness. Thank you. Yeah. That's like what brings joy to the good times because you've experienced the lows of the bad times. And, Uh you know, like in sports specifically, we always talk about like with, as athletes, like the losses hurt so much more than the wins. So sometimes like when you're watching these really sad, depressing movies, they just, affect you in a way that maybe a happy movie just can't sure or at least would have a i don't know if more difficult time is the right way 
to describe it, but um, yeah, and also you talking about making the 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 great moments feel greater. I'm reminded very much of you know we're both we're both Kansas City boys. Mm-hmm. So the last few years, I'm I don't follow sports really, but there was still something about the Chiefs winning the Super Bowl and then the Royals, especially winning the World Series after being. For as long as I can remember, the Royals were not even in the playoffs. Yeah, almost 30 years without being in the playoffs. And then so just losing this long, then all of a sudden, out of, it felt like to me, some of you know, who didn't really follow it, like out, out of nowhere, we're in the World Series one year, and then we win it the next year. It just felt, I was affected by it. And I, I, I just couldn't, I had to watch the games. It was weird. I got like taken over by it. And I think it's because, yeah. So. And with sports you know, particularly we could have even lost that World Series that we won, but that's what made it worth watching. Yeah. You know, it, it that is that natural suspense that's built in with sports is the scoreboard at the end of mm-hmm. it. There is going to be a winner and a loser for the most part, and that's where a lot of the drama comes from. But as me as a sports fan, I almost feel like this, like, weight off my shoulders. Each franchise that I follow, like, once they've won a title in my lifetime, it's like, Okay, I don't have to carry that around with me anymore. Okay. Like the rest is gravy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, sporting one in twelve, and then the Royals in fifteen, and then the Chiefs in twenty. Yeah. So they are within like a decade in my twenties. Oh, my wow. three Kansas City teams all got it done, and now it's a lot more fun, honestly, to follow the follow the league. But this is a, a sports tangent. Uh, but like, why, like, with these sad, depressing movies, why? make them you know we're watching them but like as the creator in your much more this way like you've directed films before you've acted in films before like what draws you to a project that is like very dark you know i'm i'm still probably to an extent gonna be maybe trying to maybe that's why i like making stuff that's dark because i'm trying to figure out what it is exactly Mm. in and of itself like that's kind of part of the journey but, you know, kind of like what you were saying, I, I like movies that, uh, like, challenge me psychologically. And, and not necessarily in a way that's, like, you have to put the pieces together, but in a way that, like, forces you to, to just kind of rethink some of the ways you look at the world. Um, and whether or not you change how you feel isn't the point. It's kind of the idea that it's forcing you to think about it. Um, and making some, you know, your, your brain's arguing with itself, cognitive dissonance, that's the word I'm looking for, kind of forcing that on you. Um, and I think that's a healthy thing to be doing in general, so kind of challenging your own beliefs, and it's hard because they're your own beliefs, right? Definitely. And there's something about uh, movies that just speak a language that I seem to really understand or I get a lot more... Um, because a lot of the music I listen to is like, I mean, you know, a lot of music comes from places of depression, but a lot of the music that I listen to, you know, like I'm into like post rock or even like post punk stuff like The Cure, like there's definitely some sadness somewhere in the music, mm-hmm. but there it's like most of that stuff's in a major key. So like there is still some sort of like happiness to it. But with movies, for some reason, there's just, yeah, for, there's something different about it. So the so what you're saying is the cure is the man bites dog of music. I am <laughs> not gonna go on record as saying that because that is a loaded sentence that I think I need to think about for a while. That's <laughs> <laughs> I'm just putting words in your mouth there. Uh, one thing I would add to like this darkness that we keep talking about too. It also like and why we're drawn to those stories is that. The stories that I really appreciate are those with real consequences. Mm-hmm. And sometimes consequences, when they're pushed all the way to their extreme, do result in really dark things. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we are mortal. Everything, you know, will end at a certain point. That's just kind of the existence that is for us. So mm-hmm. within these stories, when characters make decisions, there's, there's an equal negative repercussion mm-hmm. for those decisions. Well, and, and or that the the sort of like looming threat of this could be something bad happens to this character um, probably makes the movies more engaging, you know, but if that's kind of why I 
have never been a huge uh like bond movie fan because i mean it's the it's a bond franchise he's not gonna die i know this because they need him too much for the next movie (laughs) (laughs) you know he's an institution in and of of himself and 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 that's just that's just for me i know i've talked to other people that they love it because it's like what gadget is he gonna come up with next what weird creative ways he gonna use it it's gonna you're gonna kind of forget about the gadget and then all of a sudden out of nowhere the laser watch suddenly becomes magically the one device that he needs how do they write that into the story I get it. It's just a different style. And it's just like, I don't find that as engaging. I want to feel like my characters are anything could happen to them. I think I am the same way in another, you know, series of films like the James Bond series that I would point out would be like these, like I'm watching through the MCU films right now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And sometimes like the least interesting part of the film is their 30 minute punch fest at the Uh end, because I know that there's, 20 more of these films so i'm like right they're gonna hit each other really hard for a while so i guess i can kind of tune out for a second yeah and it's kind of a different I, i'm also i i kind of i stopped watching marvel movies and the last one i saw was uh black panther and after that kind of like lost interest but it's just kind of like the bond thing it's just like a different style of movie because you got to give marvel movies credit they kind of they changed the game i mean this franchise that's this big that's i've never seen that before and we're all about celebrating films. And no way do I want to disparage them. Yeah, you just have to watch them through a different lens. Yeah. And also, like, Marvel films aren't necessarily made for 30-year-old adults who didn't read comic books. Right. I'm not exactly their demographic. And I understand that. And that's okay. I can enjoy mm-hmm. them for what they are. There's great performances. Mm-hmm. You know, Tom Hiddleston as Loki throughout this huge arc is really fun to watch. He's a yeah. great performer. And he gets a lot of stuff to chew on. But yeah, with those punching scenes where the consequences don't seem to equal the weight of the situation, it can sometimes lose me. Mm -hmm. Another question that we kind of came across during a lot of these episodes was each movie approaches its the serial killer character differently, like the movie itself does. We get a very wide variety of backstory. Would you say like there's like shifting perspectives throughout the season? Ooh, ooh, okay. I like that. <laughs> I like that. That that might be a little. Uh, I don't know. Hmm. Yeah, let's workshop it. Um, <laughs> but you know, so like like in seven, we get no backstory. John Doe just appears out of nowhere, and we only see him. You know, his interactions with the police. And then in M, we get like... Detective! Oh, my God. (laughs) So I just um, watched a QA and a with Fincher last night, actually. That was really interesting. And um, someone had asked him about, uh, like, how do you set up twists? Like, how do you approach them? Because a a couple of his movies have these huge twists in them. And he kind of joked about, like, not really having to approach that twist in 7 that it wasn't that wasn't the difficult part because John Doe walking into the police station covered in blood was always going to be shocking and was always kind of get the reaction he wanted, kind of just like that image. Mm-hmm. Um, man, what a scene! Yeah, I mean, like, look, you just started bringing up the film, and it's the first thing I went to there. Yeah, when he's introduced, it's it's incredibly memorable. Mm-hmm. And one other thing with that film that I did learn after the fact is how hard Fincher fought for the particular ending that they had because a few different versions of the script i guess were going through hollywood at that time and the particular version that he got was the one with the head in the box oh so what were some of the other ones that did you remember ah that's a great question i don't remember specifically but the one thing i do remember is that they tacked on the kind of compromise was the narrating voice at the end of somerset and his quote about I don't know if people are good or whatever. I believe the first half of what I said, whatever that really awesome Morgan Freeman quote is at the end of seven, that was tacked on as like a compromise with the studio and with Fincher. Interesting. Cause it does feel a little bit like, cause there's not like that noir voiceover throughout the rest of the movie. It does kind of like, Hmm, where'd this come from? Fincher and Pitt wanted it to end on Mills shooting John Doe and it go to black. Yeah. <laughs> wow. So wait, I bet, but then we wouldn't have 
that great shot at the end of Mills in the car with that mm-hmm. look on his face, and then the police chief just being like, well, we'll do all we can for him. As he drives off, and you're like, there's, there's nothing you can do for him. Cheeky thumbs up to camera. Right. Everything turned out okay. Okay, so I do want to get into one thing here before we jump to like the perspectives of the other two films, and this will be something that I will point out with the other two, but how different your first and second viewing of Seven are. Yeah. And how not a lot of films are that way, like equally rewarding each time. Mm-hmm. But like knowing that John Doe is on the stairs oh the second gosh. viewing, it totally yeah, changes the film. He is introduced a lot earlier yeah. into the film. Uh-huh. But like Mills, us the viewer, we're just caught up in your emotions. Being, yeah, yeah. In our emotions and not looking with our eyes. So mm-hmm. and I think that it's it's similar for all these films, mm-hmm. you know, how a second viewing is extremely rich. Yeah. Well, I was just going to say that they get better with more viewings because there's so many details that you don't realize how important they are. Mm-hmm. The rewatchability is so good because that stair scene you're talking about in Seven, on the first viewing, you're just like, well, this makes sense. It's in the city. It's illustrating that Mills is pushed by his emotions. And then it isn't until far later that you realize that scene is just like, the second time through is just like, agonizing because you can hear his voice and you're like how did i miss that's his voice i should have known that's his voice from the beginning sound is so important in this movie and you're just like he's right there ah no let your emotions guide you grab him (laughs) punch him do something like i said yeah it just has a really enriching second view for that Mm -hmm. reason yeah you're totally right so um moving on to the other couple movies you know m we get this sort of very very precise backstory and we get private moments of m in that um we get Mm -hmm. some of his private moments not a lot we get very particular ones and then with man bites dog we get what feels like this like unfiltered you know i mean reality show so it's still there's still a director and stuff but it feels a lot more unfiltered and just like we just know so much more about ben the person in man bites dog which of those three of you know john doe ben or m what's the word here like like, as far as like as an audience member like which of those three do you think is the scariest like which comes off the most scary john doe and i do have that's actually my first note for john doe i kind of have a classification for all three so i'll say john doe the scariest Mm -hmm. m Probably, as far as serial killers are concerned, probably the most sympathetic. Mm -hmm. And I had Ben as the most sadistic. Interesting. Yeah, I I thought that you would have to think about that for a little bit, because John Doe does some pretty dark things as well. But But, Ben's kill count is higher, the casualness with which he does it. and, And with Ben, it seems like something that he's doing strictly because he enjoys it well i guess he's trying to pay his rent whereas john doe is on a mission Mm -hmm. there's more purpose to his kills um and he he plans every single detail whereas ben is in the moment you know things can go wrong things do go wrong for for ben i i I think i would agree that i feel the same way that uh john doe is definitely the most in in intimidating you know or just the the movie makes him the scariest right and he seems to be the most quote-unquote like put together like we're talking about he has this detailed plan Mm -hmm. that's a pretty scary thing somebody who's that dangerous Mm -hmm. and that motivated but also has like this intelligence like they talk about like there's no fingerprints left behind there's no dna no hair at his own apartment yeah. Well, and and that's really interesting because if you were to take just the scenes of like John Doe in the car from Seven and look at them, mm-hmm. if you just took those, well, I mean, he talks about killing and stuff, but he he seems just like another New Yorker in a cab, you know, or just an, another person in the back of a cab. He's so benign looking. That's a you good know, point. He, he looks like an average guy he looks like a character from office space <laughs> you know covered in blood but yes yes that i mean yeah that with that little like uh caveat but yeah 
Mm-hmm. Um, I, so I, I would argue that maybe upon first glance, he looks so much more in control where M and Ben, just the way that they move, they feel a lot more like out of control. So John Doe, maybe at first glance, does not appear quote unquote scary, but that's kind of exactly what in context of the movie makes him the scariest. Right. And I don't know if this is the precise wording to use but maybe m and ben's kills are more like randomly triggered Mm -hmm. they're more like impulsive Mm -hmm. and with john doe the the planning that went into it is terrifying absolutely you know because humans are we're totally all capable of doing bad things at any time you Mm -hmm. know but a lot of us are much less likely to do it if we're given a period of time to really evaluate options mm-hmm. and consequences and things like that. Mm-hmm. And with M and Ben, it doesn't seem like they go through that process much with their killings. Yeah, or like they can't. Mm-hmm. You know, like like their brain just skips that part. Um, so kind of in that same vein, like. So we've, we seem to be on the same page that John Doe is presented at least as the most scariest. But then what's the flip side of that? Of all of these three characters that do heinous, reprehensible, awful things. Who would you be? Who would you want to be? Uh, okay. No. <laughs> well, w- w- which one makes, and I think we can probably agree it'll probably be, do you think Ben or M is the more, is relatable the right word? Sympathetic? I did use sympathetic with M earlier. Yeah. Um, ben is more relatable. I have in my notes that because of the way he is and the casualness with which he acts, it kind of shows how murder is like kind of one degree off of how you're living your life right now. Mm-hmm. Ben is just paying rent, living, talking with friends, shooting a little film. I, I do all that in my life. The only thing that I don't do is like randomly murder people. Right. But I'm just one decision away from doing that wow yeah i'm a lot of decisions away from like john doe right and i don't know if i can speak to m because that deals like i think the he- like the most with like uh like mental instability or like this certain thing that he's triggered with with the, with the whistling yeah and seeing little girls and reflections and at that one scene there's like bullets and guns involved there's something psychological maybe more going on with M that I can't speak to. Yeah, and, and, and M is the only one that shows any, any... I mean, he doesn't say sorry, but he seems to have some sort of remorse in his final monologue, which we don't see, you definitely never see from... Ben isn't remorseful about killing anybody. Um, we might see some remorse about, like, you know, there's that scene where they're trying to... He's trying to invite them to go to Muscles, Mm-hmm. He'll get muscles and it's like awkward and he's just kind of like another average awkward dude that people don't want to hang out with. Right. So he kind of gets relatable there, but like M showing that he does under he seems to at a certain point understand the weight of what he's doing, mm-hmm. which is scary, but also very, I mean, I think that's what that movie is trying to say is that like, you know, there is something else going on that we haven't quite figured out yet and i think all the movies are getting at that but m seems to really drive that point home that like his actions are terrible and inexcusable but the way we respond to this and the way we react to it and the way we approach him should be well like like what his lawyer says he needs to be in a hospital mm-hmm. you know he needs to be away from children clearly because he is has this mental uh, you know breakdown where he can't control himself but right we need to be treating him like a like a hospital patient not like a some sort of uh, what's the word some sort of like a predator yeah yeah like he's like a you know like a coyote that wandered into like the city square or something like no he's like he is still a human Mm -hmm. he's just a human that has some very deep problems yeah so what is the purpose of having these relatable criminal characters or giving them relatable qualities what do you think uh well we're trying to we talked about it a little bit in seven and i think m talks about it kind of like 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 an, like a step back kind of more removed but the idea of that law enforcement police can only do so much as far as controlling crime 
goes mm-hmm. um that there's a there's definitely a limit and and all these movies kind of in m and in seven the police are always a couple steps behind and it almost seems like especially with m that that's one of the things that it's trying to communicate is that's kind of like the nature of their work is that if you're trying to catch someone, they have to do something before you catch them. You know what I mean? Right. If they haven't done anything, then there's no evidence. And then now we're talking about minority report and stuff. Uh, and so there's some Free crime. You're right. There's something else <laughs> that our society, our communities need to be doing um, because we can't just turn to law enforcement to try to prevent crime. They're not law prevent. They're not crime prevention. They're law enforcement. You know what I'm saying? Um, and so by building that relatable character, it kind of reminds us that they are people. They are humans. You may walk past one of these people, you know, on your way to, well, the next time you're out in public when it's safe, you might walk mm-hmm. by one of these people or something and, and never know it. And that's kind of the fear, I think, especially in Seven, that it's just like, he could be anywhere. You know, he could be doing anything and you're not going to be able to look at him and say, oh, I can tell that person by looking at them they're dangerous. What is what is Mills's line that he's sitting at home smothering himself in peanut butter or something? You know, he doesn't really seem to. Yeah, he's not respecting John Doe in that instance and his intelligence and yeah, being a human being. I just had here to to bring better understanding to the complexities involved in life, and I think you said it <laughs> a lot more thoroughly there. It, uh, these are complex issues that. Mm-hmm you know, don't necessarily have a correct answer. But there are things that need to change, obviously. And I think sometimes with these films, it can, with having a relatable criminal character, you can translate that message to a wider audience, Mm -hmm. maybe in a quote-unquote language they understand. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think a lot of films do that. I don't think that these three films are special for doing that, but they're digging into some really heavy, complex issues. And I think they, for the most part, handle them all really well. Yeah, and, and going back to um, you know, what we were talking about earlier with a movie that's like, what, what's the point of a movie that's got a depressing or a downer ending? Imagining like if seven had ended with someone tipping off Mills and Somerset and they like turn on the lights and they drive through the city and they get to Mills' apartment just in time and Mills guns down John Doe as he's about to kill his wife and then they're like, we did it. The message that that movie sends you is like a complete 180 and that's all it takes is changing like the ending. Great point. Um, and then that also, yeah, the idea of... of you know, Mills sees these serial killers, these criminals, almost like a, yeah, almost like an archetypal. You know, maybe more along the lines of like a, you know, the Marvel movies you're watching. The the villains are like evil villains. You know, Darth Vader. You know, these evil mm-hmm. villains and stuff. And there's these like, you know, altruistic good guys, and that's a very different overall message that you're sending to someone if you're sending them the idea that good guys always win, bad guys always lose. Someone that leaves the theater with that, how are they going to be thinking about, you know, problems like like crime and violence in cities? If if mm-hmm. you really believe that the good guys always win and the bad guys always lose, then it's like, okay, cool, we got it covered. But if a movie is telling you that, like, well, turns out that's not how that goes, then it's like, okay, well, what are we going to do different? How can we improve? I totally agree. I think it is important to note that... Movies shouldn't be the only place with which you get your information on all subjects. And <laughs> absolutely, for a lot of people, I and I can totally understand this. And I treat films the sa- same way. Sometimes films can just be there as a an escape. Mm-hmm. You know, they they are specifically watching the film to kind of get away, at least for a moment. Yeah, from the darkness. And yeah. I can totally understand just wanting to watch a popcorn flick. Oh, yeah. Anytime anybody is like, hey, do you want to watch The Wizard of Oz? I'm like, yeah, let's do it. I could probably use an hour and a half of just checking out into Fantasyville with Judy Garland serenading me. That sounds healthy. I could do that, you know? Yes. It's funny you picked that film specifically, though. I've found since I've moved away from home and Kansas and stuff, it is much more emotional for me. Mm -hmm. But I... 
I, I would maybe go with uh, Robin Hood. Sure. Oh, that 38 Robin so Give me some Earl Flynn, some swashbuckling. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Some Merry Men. You're talking about happiness on the on a screen? It doesn't get any happier. It's in the name, man. It's just uh, their whole gang. It's their whole crew. That's <laughs> what they're all about. So we're clearly wanting to talk about happier films and everything, and these are pretty heavy films. Which one do you think you're going to return to first? Oh, I know for a fact it's M. I've I've watched all these movies before. I'd seen Man Bites Dog once before we did this pod. I've seen Seven two or three times. Um, And I watched Seven the longest time ago. Actually, that and Man Bites Dog. I watched those in college. I didn't watch M till a couple years ago, and I've already watched M. I don't know how many times, probably close to ten. It isn't as psychologically draining for me, and it's just not. It doesn't have the explicitness, the violence that Seven and Man Bites Dog brings. So I think that probably makes it more watchable. And you know, it movie it moves. It just really, really moves. What about you? Yeah, and and you're also a huge pre code fan. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that, classic that film in right. general. Yeah. Right in that uh, time era. I, I'm the same way. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I would watch M before the other two. I kind of figured. And it should be pointed out, uh, Kyle did mention there that he had watched Man Bites Dog before. I had not. So when I say like we did this season to ourselves, really more Kyle did it to us. That's fair. Let's, let's just let's blame Kyle 100%. That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> no, I'm <laughs> kidding. I'll at least take 66.7% of the blame, but... <laughs> M is beautiful. I think I'll probably end up watching it with other people. Mm-hmm. You know, the next time I rewatch it, mm-hmm. we talked about recommending classic old films to people. Yeah. It'll probably be one when I have an opportunity to hang out with a human being in real life again, where I'll just throw it on and not even ask them if they want to watch it because they're going to get sucked in. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I will say, though, if I ever get a chance... um to see like because i didn't get to see seven in theaters i would really love to see that movie with a theater treatment with the sound and just with an audience especially if there's people there that haven't seen it before because there is something about that group experience and just people gasping and people just going oh and people responding that movie's going to get a lot of responses and actually this uh the q a i just watched with uh fincher he said something that I thought was really interesting. He said he used to think that movies were 50% sound, 50% visuals, but now he thinks they're 25% sound, 25% visuals, 50% audience. He kind of just kind of said that off the cuff, so I don't know if that's something he's necessarily like, it's like a mantra that he lives by, but it was interesting. Yeah, that, that is interesting. Talking, in case he, then he went to talk around about like uh, pre-screenings and stuff and just kind of like what the, the knowledge you can get just by viewing your movie in a room with other people that are strangers that have never seen it before. Um, and that would be, yeah, that, that'd be one I'd be interested in, in seeing with my other fellow humans. We can all experience it collectively, you know? <laughs> mm-hmm. And, you know, I'll tease a little my uh, seasonal podium. I, mm-hmm. I'm not surprised by the comments you just made, and I will touch on them a little bit more at that point. Okay. Well, um, let, let, let's move on to our season wrap-up here. Um, before that, we got one more ad break for you. Hang tight. This episode is brought to you by CBD Brands Direct. CBD Brands Direct is an online retailer for a wide variety of CBD brands and products. They are your one-stop shop for everything CBD, from topicals to edibles to ingestibles. They've got you covered. The Motive CBD Collection for Rest and Recovery is a CBD routine built for athletes by athletes. You can easily incorporate a Motive CBD routine throughout your day to help rest and recover. This CBD routine starts off the day with a one milliliter dose of Motive CBD full spectrum oil. Then the Motive Sandalwood Sports Cream can be applied as needed throughout the day and for after your activity. Then the routine concludes with a 10 milligram muscle and joint capsule. Each of these items is a 30 day supply allowing for you to follow this routine for a month, start making it a habit. You can purchase this Motive collection for rest and recovery in a beautiful box collection that also makes a great gift has everything in one place and at a special price. It also comes with the Motive Recipe Booklet as a bonus. Motive CBD products are natural, vegan, organic, and are free of heavy metals and pesticides. In addition, the sports cream is cruelty-free, meaning it has not been tested on animals. 
Motive CBD is produced and packaged here in the United States. So visit cbdbrandsdirect.com. That's C-B-D-B-R-A-N-D-S-D-I-R-E-C-T.com to order. Use the offer code BEGONIAFM, all one word, at checkout and you'll get 20% off your order. Make sure to use that code to let them know you came from us. It really helps us out. So thank you. And thanks to CBD Brands Direct for sponsoring this episode and all of Begonia FM. Okay, we got some wrap-up categories. A little different than the other episodes. Well, mm-hmm. um, let's get started with our seasonal podium. So for this, we're awarding a gold, silver, and bronze to kind of uh, whatever we're feeling. That's how podiums work. Absolutely. Let's start with bronze. Nick, what do you got? I teased this right here before the break. I'm giving the bronze medal to David Fincher himself. Okay. Okay. Uh, his attention to detail. Legendary. And, and respect of the viewer, which is what I was talking when you said that quote, 50% audience. He respects mm. the viewer. He doesn't ever preach at you or anything, but he's always given you the information necessary for his stories. And yeah. I, I really like that about him. He, his films are like can't miss experiences really at this point for me. Yeah. Who are you giving your bronze medal to? Uh, well, I, uh, in, in typical Kyle fashion, I'm giving the bronze medal specifically to the actor Leland Orser. He is from Seven. He's the surviving victim of the lust killing. Mm-hmm. talked about him on the pod i love my actors that go 110 percent, even though they've only got a few minutes of screen time and in all of my viewing i think that's the most extreme example of that yeah i don't want to repeat a whole lot from the episode but the guy's dedicated his performance is incredible and i think it's crucial in establishing just how scary john doe is is his great performance it's leland leland oscar with the bronze yeah that makes john doe even scarier oh yeah Good point. Hey, he gets a bronze medal for it. <laughs> what do you got for uh, your silver medal moving up the podium? Well, this one isn't a specific person, but I'm just giving it to the sound design across all three movies. Okay. It's, it's big. It's important in every single movie. I think it's not just background noise. Uh, Man Bites Dog doesn't have maybe as much, but when they do use it, it's some of my favorite scenes when they're separating the boom operator from the camera. Mm-hmm. I just cause it's it's so satisfying to watch Ben not know what he's doing and to watch him mess up and you're like, I'm glad I can't hear what you're saying. I'm like, this is good. You don't even know. Just great sound design in general gets the silver medal. What about you? I, I totally agree with you there. I'm giving my silver medal to Peter Lorre. Mm-hmm. I don't feel like I need to elaborate anymore. I think we've talked about it a lot throughout this season. Oh, man. What a performance. What a performance. And then knowing that he also did it en français incredible shout out to you yeah. peter laurie and oh and then shout out to you criterion channel yeah okay the moment we've all been waiting for the gold medal you want to lead us off i will because mine's not it's a little anticlimactic now i gave my gold medal to sound design okay so it's clearly something that we both thought was incredible throughout the season mm-hmm. the only things i have to add it are those diegetic sounds like the music from the library uh, when Morgan Freeman goes to yeah. study there and it's the security guards who put on the music mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and then the whistling is so key to the M story and it's this motif that goes throughout. Yeah. It's just well done on the sound. We've talked about it a lot. So who is your gold? For my gold, I, I, I stepped it up to just the art and design department for seven since we don't see any of the violence. How does it, how is it so terrifying? And how does that movie turn your stomach constantly? It's because Mm -hmm. of the way the crime scenes look, the way that the bodies are made up, um, or the, some of the props is just above and uh, above and beyond. They're just, the, the feeling you walk away with from seven is a lot of it's just because of the way the sound design is able to tell you a story, not the sound design, the like, Production design tells the story for you. Ugh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we, it was like, I think my first couple scenes in our first episode where you're at Mills and Somerset's respected apartments and how much you learn about them from just their little routines in the morning and the things you see in the background in their apartments, yeah. the neatness versus the messiness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
I think you caught uh, that Mills even had like a basketball sitting somewhere and he almost certainly seems he probably was good, played some high school sports, you know? I'd like to think so. I really want to see that prequel <laughs> that we put together. <laughs> um, well, following with, with my gold medal here, um, you, we have to be careful that you and I don't exclusively watch black and white movies because I know we both love black and white movies. Um, but we didn't. We got one that was in color. So with, with the t- we have a topic here of discussing how would flip-flopping that change the movies? Would it make... I don't know. Let's just talk about it. Like, but for Seven, I did watch it in black and white. One of my rewatches... Did you? I, I took all the color out and just watched it. How'd it hold up? It's not as good, I don't think, because the color is really important. But there are a lot of shots that just, you know, they just ring of Citizen Kane you know, or a lot of those classic Hollywood movies, it looks exactly like some of those just big long shadows and stuff and just people disappearing into the darkness. Ugh, I love it. But I, I think it hurts the movie because a, a lot of the grossness, the, the thing that's like upsetting your stomach is the way like skin looks and the coloration and seeing the color of blood throughout the movie um, and then, like the in John Doe's apartment, he's got that big red cross. That is that the movie is already so like kind of it's not it's not monotone, but the colors are kind of muted throughout most of the movie. And then that red neon cross just like pops. It is striking. And in black and white, it just blends in. It looks like another light. Okay, interesting. I did not do that myself. And the funny thing is, that here in my black and white versus color notes, I have pretty much nothing about seven Hmm. i was like i would want to watch m in color Mm -hmm. because seeing anything in like the 30s in color would just be really cool you know i feel like a lot of our footage from back then is in black and white wasn't everything in that in the 30s in black and white i thought (laughs) well you you get technicolor oh i meant i meant 30s i meant like real life like oh yeah yeah swing and a miss I, I, I talk about that on another podcast, actually, how I kind of view the past in a little bit of black and white sometimes or when I think about mm-hmm. it. Uh, but I definitely would not want to see man fights dog in color. So like I'm I'm going black and white for my answer. If I had to pick all of them in color, all of them black and white, black and white, mm-hmm. because I don't want to see man bites dog in color. Yeah, I don't think. Yeah, there's just some things I don't want to see in full realism. But I think it also the, the black and white with man bites dog really helps. Because that movie is exaggerated. It's stylized in a way that's like hyper-realistic. And I think the black and white helps kind of like just drill that home a little bit. That this, you're watching a movie. This is fake. You know, this is people playing dress up. And that's kind of important for that movie. Yeah, because I don't know if it would be too much if it's in color. Is that too real? You know, to where it becomes distracting and it's just too gross or something to kind of like think about what the movie's trying to get you to chew on. No, I think I actually agree even more Yeah, with your previous of like the, the black and white helps sell the not fake aspect, but yeah, the we're making a movie mm-hmm. aspect, like you said. Mm-hmm. I think you're totally right there. All right. Well, instead of trading black and white for color, let, let, let's take it to the trade machine. This is a pretty open category. You just got to do an equal trade between a couple movies, all three of the movies. I don't know. We've never done this before, so I'm excited to hear what you choose. Would you mind leading off? Oh, happy to. I'd like to think my trade machine kind of looks like uh, the fly, like that machine. Okay. Like two big portals, you know, maybe a third portal if it's a three-way trade. Okay. That's how I like to picture mine. Maybe a lot of bubbling things going on too. Yeah, yeah. Not like I'm not a DeLorean kind of guy if I had, you know. Like like the lab in Metropolis. Yes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh, by Fritzy Lang himself. Okay. Oh, man. So my first trade, I'm trading Brad Pitt, Mills. For Gustav Grugens, the safe cracker. Okay. Tell me about that. Well, I think that Brad Pitt would do great in that safe cracker mm-hmm. role. Mm-hmm. Maybe kind of like as, uh, who's the, the, the Lock, Stock, and Barrel crew when he, he jumps into a few of those films? The Guy Ritchie movies, yeah. The Guy Ritchie, yeah. Maybe more along the characters that he plays in those Guy Ritchie films. Yeah. And then with Gustav, you know, I I just wanted to see a little bit more of him. Mm -hmm. So throw him up against Morgan Freeman, see what happens. Man, him with some scenes with Morgan Freeman. Yeah, that would be cool. Especially if they kind of came in with that 
if he keeps a little bit of his character that's so calm because his because safecracker is kind of the opposite of mills in some ways because he's like so calm that it's kind of becomes creepy mm-hmm. whereas mills is so emotional that he makes him really relatable he's so human right so like that would be interesting seeing those two very calm collected very intellectual brains still butting heads and how do they disagree how do they get along i would say safe cracker is probably much more cocky uh, maybe mm. overconfident yeah. with his calmness absolutely yeah i wouldn't call mills isn't really cocky he's like impulsive which is right which yeah no that's a great word to use yeah. you know maybe impulsive comes from having a little bit of like you some sort of self-confidence but it's definitely not yeah, Safecracker is kind of on a different level. He runs a criminal like empire, you know, he's a godfather. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, do you want me to do my other trades here? Or do you want to throw out a trade? Uh, I only wrote down, t- technically it's one trade. Um, so I'll, I'll go next here. And my, this is a little chaotic. I decided I'm going to just trade Fritz Lang for Remy Belvo, Andre Bonzel, and Benoit Pelford, the directors of Man Bites Dog. I will admit that I think man. Also, the actors in Man Bites Dog. Oh, I didn't think about that. <laughs> I was just thinking about behind the camera because it's like I'll admit that I think Man Bites Dog is probably getting the better end of this, <laughs> the better end of this deal. But because you know, M would be a very different movie if it had this frenetic, chaotic energy. Maybe not as good. But Fritz Lang taking this idea and shooting a fake documentary it would have somehow been worse, not in that it would have been like less technically a, you know, a, a good movie, but he somehow would have found a way to push it even darker. And there's part of me that just wants to know. Like, I know that would hurt me. I, I know I'd need to like go find my cat, but like, man, he could do some crazy. You're willing to go through it. I am. Yeah. <laughs> that would be a wild, wild movie. Well, I, I won't hold it against you on this one that you traded away most of your cast we'll just say that they traded just the directorial obligations of those castmates in this instance yeah 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 something like that all right i'll hit you with my other two trades i got um i don't even want to pronounce the name the the gentleman who played franz Mm -hmm. in m i'm trading him for remy okay and just letting them Play those roles, letting Remy be kind of more funny, relaxed, chilled out, see what Franz's more dramatic chops are like. Yeah. And then here, this final one, I, I figure you'll have thoughts on it. I'm trading Ellen Widman, Frau Beckman, for Benoit. So Benoit is like looking for Elsie, and then Frau, the actress Ellen, is Benoit's character. And it would, it would be Woman Bites Dog in that case, maybe, if that's what the title meant. Uh-huh. She's so good in her couple of scenes. And I just, I want to see more of her and, you know, put a pistol and some choking wire in her hand. Wow. She's going to be good. And that's going to be, I mean, that that just kind of pushes that idea of like, no, look, you really can't tell by looking. Because she she just looks like, (laughs) she looks like a mom that just like makes the best homemade biscuits, you know? And and then just, oh man. I'm, I'm, and, and hey, Fritz Lang clearly knows how to direct her. So let's just, Ooh. let's make this happen. Okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. At least trade away Benoit from the group. Yeah. And we'll trade Franz and we'll take, we'll take Frau and then we'll take, uh, uh, what's his name? Friedrich for Franz back. Okay. Okay. Man, that's, <laughs> <laughs> that is a different movie. I love it. I love it. All right, I'm, I'm shutting down my machine, pulling down the big old lever. It's like a six-foot lever, you know what I mean? That really has to be cranked down. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Lots of power going to like this central orb thing. I'm really trying to give a visual of my trade machine here. Okay, okay. I'm seeing it. Fire it up. Trying to, yeah, bring you in the room. Um, so as we uh, wrap up our first season here on A Celebration of Cinema, Nick, what are you celebrating most from this season? Besides being able to move on to happier movies. <laughs> Yeah, um, although these were tough watches, I am celebrating the fact that I got to talk about them critically and constructively with my friend. Aw, well, geez, now I feel 
like not a good like not a good friend because i picked something that <laughs> no 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 that genuinely like when i was like trying to think back my first answer was like what are you celebrating most i had just finishing the season <laughs> And I was like, well, no, we're, we're about, you know, positivity. What There was good things that came out of this. So. Well, yeah, and, and having the project completed, like we, we, we did it and we did put work on it. And that's a great, that's a great point. Like if you're going to watch these movies, it's probably best to watch it with somebody if you can. And kind of talk about it afterwards. Yeah, please. Or yeah. You know, go on Reddit and talk about it, you know, or something. Get your thoughts out of your head. Email us. Yeah, please. email us. Start your own pod. Let us know. Heck. Hello at begonia.fm. Yeah. Please. We love talking movies. And I know we're, we're kind of being hyperbolic about how we're like, oh, my God. Oh, it's over. But no, I, I can talk about seven like all day. It's fine. Like, I mean, it, it's, it's hard, but like there's a lot to talk about in that movie. So please. Yeah. And I think a part of that being drained from it is that we're watching it multiple times within a week. We're taking notes, doing research on it, having a production meeting, then doing a recording. And then for me, currently, I'm doing the editing. So then I mm-hmm. get another three, four hour dose of every episode as well, yeah. listening back to it. So I- I'm excited. Yeah. Uh, to <laughs> have finished it. But what are you celebrating most? I, I am celebrating one of my, one of my favorite. If you look through my like most favorite movies, there's a lot of literal darkness on screen, like like black screen, a lot of shadows. Mm-hmm. Not exclusive to black and white movies. Seven clearly established that, but just darkness on screen. Movies that can, you know, aren't afraid to completely black out part of the part of the frame. I'm remembering in in M those shots looking down into the like the the bar, the pub, where like half the yeah. screen is just like blank wall. Ah, it just keeps it interesting, keeps me surprising. I don't know. I just, I just like it. I don't know. I like looking at it. My brain likes perceiving it. So that's what I'm celebrating most because this season had a lot of it. I think that is absolutely worth celebrating. And an ag- anecdote that I'll add to it, not really incredibly relevant to the particular series that we just watched, but I learned that Batman, the animated series, the animators started with black pieces of paper and added color to it. And so that's why you get all that darkness and shadow in the 90s Batman series. Oh, that's cool. I did not know that. Yeah, a little, you know, a lot lot of darkness in that show, too. What a fun little anecdote. Yeah. Okay, well, thanks for listening to our first season. Appreciate it so much. Like we were saying, you know, Nick and I love talking film. So if you're interested in continuing the conversation with us or if you need to just get some stuff off your chest after watching all these movies, we're here for you. You can find us on Instagram at A Celebration of Cinema. You can send us a tweet at A Celebration OC or just send us an email to hello at begonia.fm. If you enjoyed this pod, you can browse the other pods in our network at our website, www.begonia.fm. That's all for now. I will see you next season as we move on to uh, uh, some, some lighter films as we celebrate teamwork in movies. See you then.